Morning, everybody. Good to be here. Oh, hidden behind this mic. It's quite a big one, isn't it? It's good. Um, we're looking there this morning um, about a subject that you might, you might, um, might not like or you might uh, find yourself twitching a little bit. It's actually quite difficult uh, to preach through. It's called, talked about leadership. And obviously I'm a leader in the church and so therefore talking about some of the experiences that myself and Andrew have had but also biblically what does it mean to be God's people who lead God's people. So I'm going to read from, and this is part of the series where we looked at spiritual gifts and, um, oh thank you, I felt like it was a barrier. It's good. Thank you. Um, yeah, we've looked, been looking at spiritual gifts and went through the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and obviously on to Romans now and picking up on some of those gifts uh, that, uh, that Paul didn't mention in the other passage and, and so here we find ourselves at leadership. So I'm going to read um, from Romans 12 starting at first uh, 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 one and in your Bibles um, it would say the, the heading is uh, living sacrifice, a living sacrifice and I suppose the first question this morning is, is do we gather as a people of God who think well I want to be a living sacrifice for Jesus uh, when, I li- when I think that's what he was for me do I want to give that 100% back to him so I'm going to read this passage but obviously we're going to focus on the gift of leadership so I'm sorry if I'm sniffing, I've got a head cold, so I'm going to wrestle through. But Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There's that sense of family, isn't there? So he's already beginning to introduce us to what he's about to say. There's different gifts, but all of those gifts are in the family, uh, which is the people of God. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so today we're talking about God's people who lead. And the focus there is on Romans 12 verse 8. If a gift is leadership, then let them govern diligently. The word diligently there is one that I often say to the team in the office that the things we do, we should be diligent. We should be not professionals, but we should have a degree of professionalism. Uh, We should have goals. We should have, uh, if we say we're going to do something, we should do it and not let people down. And I think in my travels over these past 18, 19 years of ministry, what I've found is when I speak to ministers, and I'm not trying to be too derogatory, but I find, and especially in Baptist circles, and this is where we'll get uh, a bit agitated, um, but I think that's good. Um, But leaders are not leading. Uh, Leaders are scared of leading, and especially in Baptist circles, because of the whole way we have our Baptist ecclesiology, and I'm going to explore that a little bit as well. Equally, we don't want leaders with ultimate power because we all know the uh, term, um, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and that's not what we're about. But a lot of leaders, I find, are quite scared. Many of them are intimidated. Uh, They're scared of people leaving their church if they say the wrong thing. 
Some of them, I don't think, are gifted. I think they've been put in a position of leadership and they ought not to be there and they can damage the church. There's a high burnout rate among ministers. In fact, in my group at Spurgeon's, we call them batches, I'm the only one left in ministry. And, and it is a burden and it is a hard role to fulfil. And if you're not called to do it, you shouldn't do it. it I, I don't think it's something you should seek. And, um, and I, I, I'm grateful to God for, for leadership, but um, it's not something to be attained. It's something uh, to be recognised. But that's the problem with our Baptist ecclesiology, the way we do church. We, uh, one of our fundamental beliefs, what's, what really sets us apart um, uh, from much of the church is our uh, belief about believers' baptism, and our belief in the priesthood of all believers. And that's why we have church meetings, uh, not because we're a democracy, uh, because we're a theocracy. The hand goes up to say, this is what I believe, what God is saying. But we have our Baptist ecclesiology, and we have the priesthood of all believers, and I 100% believe in that, and I should do, because it's in Scripture. So 1 Peter 2, 5-9. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He's talking about all the people of God, not just one or two offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, and this is where we get our ecclesiology from, our doctrine, our Baptist doctrine, but you are a chosen people. This is all of you. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Isn't that wonderful? You are part of God's special possession. I find that amazing. That you, there's a reason for this. right? It's not God's special possession to go and sit in your living rooms after this service um, forever. I mean, you are allowed to go and do that, but... Um, there's a reason for this. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. So we've been called out from the kingdom of darkness and we're in the kingdom of light and God delights in us and we're a royal priesthood, we're a chosen people. It's amazing, but there is a purpose and the purpose is to point other people uh, to him. And of course, uh, all of us take part in that priestly function. Uh, We can all serve one another. We can all pray for one another. We can all visit one another. It's not only the minister that can do that. You know, Ben can pray for Andrea if he wants. Andrea doesn't have to ask me to pray for her. And probably his prayers are better anyway. Um, but all of us can pray. We've all got that priestly function. right? And that's what this passage is, is talking about. We don't have to go to a Catholic priest and confess our sins and he gives us the forgiveness. He can't give us the forgiveness. He can proclaim it, uh, but he can't give it. Only one person um, can do that, and that is God. And that's what got Jesus into trouble when he said, your sins are forgiven. And they said, well, only God can do that. Well, well done. You know, that is not rocket science. I am God. And, and that's what got him into trouble. They said he was blaspheming, you see. But that priestly function where we can pray for one another is there, and it is. But, and this is where we get a bit agitated, the, the priesthood of all believers recognise the gift of leadership in some. Just because we're the priesthood of all believers doesn't mean we're all leaders. We are in one sense, we're leaders ourselves, but the leadership which we're talking about today in the church, God's people who lead God's people. But so often that's not bought into or accepted. And it goes back to the, well, I've got my one person, one vote, and 
If I don't like it, then I'm going to vote against it. I'm not, I'm not worried, really, too much about the direction of the leadership. If it doesn't suit me, then I'm not going to do it. And, and really not recognising that it was the church, first of all, the priesthood of all believers, who recognised the leadership of gifting some, but then don't want them to lead. And leadership is great. I'm not, I'm not one of these people who go to these conferences uh, and start moaning and worries me. I think you've got it much harder than me. The people working have got a much tougher job than me. Um, and I don't really tolerate you too much on the staff team. I say, what you're doing is a privilege. You've got more freedom and more space and more um, uh, flexible working hours than most of our congregations. So let's not moan about it. When I go to, uh, there's one conference I went to, not this week, it was the EVA ministers one, uh, and I convinced a few of my minister colleagues they didn't want to go, not just here, but elsewhere to go. I said, no, it's, not, it's really good, you're going to be inspired, because the year before we'd had the uh, General Secretary of the Scottish Baptist Union there, he's just stepped down, but, but he was really inspiring, you should come, we've got to be in it to win it, if we want change and reform, you can't just say, oh, we don't want to go with fuddy-duddies, we're going to, I said, get in there, and I, you know, so Mark Massey came down, and Jerry Brown came down, I said, it's going to be really good, and we walked in, and there's all these pebbles on the table, I thought, oh no, and I know pebbles are good for some people, and I'm not knocking it, but it's just the context, and Massey said to me, so if you, what, you've told me to come here. First thing I'll see, right, we're sitting at the back and we've got known as a rebellious Essex group of churches, troublemakers, which I quite like. And, um, and they were talking about picking all your pebbles up and bringing all the hurts and all the worries and the toughness of ministry. And thankfully, uh, someone that's fondly known as uh, the Bishop of London, she's not, but we called her that, uh, is a lady, Reverend Dr. Pat Took, and she used to lead the London Baptist Association. She's a bit of a legend in Baptist circles. And she probably had it tough in her early ministry as well. But she was a bit of a legend. And she's, I remember she stood up there and she said, I see all these pebbles. And it's really nice because the worship leader said, let's build up a mountain of pebbles, all the hurt and all the pain and all the struggles of ministry and the, and the struggle of leadership. Let's build a mountain in my book of moaning, which I don't have a lot of time for. And dear Pat, you know, she said, oh, she goes, I like a pebble just as much as the next person. I love a little, it's nice to build a little hill. And then she spoke about her daughter who was a doctor working 15-hour days and, and spoke about the congregations that have probably got it much harder than all the ministers that were gathered. And I'm really glad that she said, look, leadership is a gift. Leadership is a calling. And leadership is not something to be moaned about. And if you don't feel called, get out. And I thought, yeah, she's right. This is what I want to hear. And all of a sudden, Massey and Brown, the rest of them, stirred their so this is what we want to hear. And we, we feel like getting the pebbles and smashing windows, but we thought that's going a bit too far. Leadership is great, but it is tough. And it's okay to recognise that. And I think it's especially tough in church life. And I know I'm talking about my own thing here, but mainly because you're leading an army of volunteers rather than in a, a business sense. When I was in the business world, if I told someone, someone under me to do it, they did it. If they didn't, it affected their bonus and their salary, and they'd be on a warning. And we'd go into one of those glass rooms that they used to call us. I'm pointing at Ben because we used to work quite close to each other. There were glass offices, and you'd be called in. Why haven't you done what you said you'd do? And there would be a consequence. But of course, in church, mainly, you're dealing with uh, volunteers rather than people you can tell what to do. And we wouldn't want to be telling people what to do anyway. People can leave as soon as they're not happy. Some are greatly committed and some are consumers. If it's good for me, I'll go, and if it's not, I won't. And, that, and sometimes we only hear from them when their needs aren't met. Some will have a passion for one thing and others a passion for something else. And the two will never talk because they're both wrong according to each other. 
Whereas the leader kind of sees both and trying to work it out and all it's going to work out. The leader has to see the whole picture. Uh, a great illustration I heard was, like, <laughs> unfortunately it suggests that we don't do anything, um, is the conductor of an orchestra. He's not playing any instrument, but without him it all goes a bit messy and everyone's just going to do their own thing. Uh, but with him he's conducting. But he's not actually doing a lot and you might think that of me. I'll just stand up here and just do a bit of this, and you do all the work, which actually, if that works, I'd quite enjoy it, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. Uh, keeping an eye on the big picture, looking at everything else that's going on, and trying to steer the ship and change the culture, trying to model values of love and justice, worship, servanthood, faith, obedience. And I'm just going to really whiz through, and some of this is random thoughts that I've picked up over the years. And what I'm going to do at the end, if we've got time, um, I'll put my watch here, because I can't, I don't want to keep looking around at the clock, is just share what the most... I tend to just write down in my devotional book random thoughts that I think God has given me. And I'm just going to reel them off so you know where I am, so you know what my thinking is and how God challenges me. We have leadership of ourselves. So in that sense, you're all leaders. You have leadership of yourself. Um, and I love the idea that it's on you. You know, if, if, what I mean by that... If, if things go wrong in our lives, and I get that, and, and sometimes it's just not our fault, but sometimes our attitudes and the way we deal with it, that's on me, and it's on you. You can lead yourself in a certain uh, way. Jesus said, um, we've got to look at ourselves first as leaders. Jesus said, I am the true vine, in John's Gospel, and went on to say that with him we can do so much, and without him we can do very little. And yet so often in our lives, and it affects leaders as well, we think we can run off in all sorts of directions and think, oh, hold on, I'll just just see if God wants to go along with my plan instead of seeking him first. And a leader, if it's a leader of a church or you leading your own life, one of the biggest challenges is you must guard our relationship with God. Because it's so easy to fall in the trap of being a leader that you don't first know there's a leader that's over you. And in the passage, I didn't know Joan was going to do it in Colossians 3. He is the head of the church. He is the head. Um, I'd like to think I'm some sort of under-shepherd, but I'm not the shepherd. I'm called to be a shepherd of God's flock, but I'm not the shepherd. I'm called to point to the one who is. So a leader must guard their relationship with God. And again, in my travels, you'd be staggered how that can be neglected. Getting caught up in the professionalism of being a minister and neglecting what it is to be a disciple. And it's interesting that when you look at um, the Gospels, Jesus is normally moving in the opposite way that leaders do. If you look at the Bible, you know, he's got the crowd, you know, everybody, and then he sort of thinks about 72, then he thinks about 12, then he thinks about 3, and then it's the Father. He's always on a journey, though, to the Father. If you read the Bible, he's trying to get away from the crowd... He gets to the 72, he gets to his 12, he's got his three special ones, but he's always making the journey the other way. Because he knows if he hasn't got that relationship with the Father, then the rest all goes to pieces. He must have the relationship with the Father. And this, I think, is one of the most important parts of being a leader. You can't only open the Bible to prepare a sermon. You must be nourished by it, devotionally, alongside the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And for everybody, about being leading ourselves, it calls for integrity. It calls for servanthood. It's your yes is yes and your no is no. So if you you think you're in any kind of leadership position in the church or you're just the leader of yourself, um, it's having that integrity to say, well, if if I said I'll do it, I'll do it. Um, Again, 
if I'm back in the broken days, if I said I was going to do something and didn't do it, I'm called in a room. If someone under me said they'd do it and didn't do it, they'd be called in a room. And genuinely, for those that work, or you have worked, you'll know that when you're given tasks to do, you better do them. And you do them, because you said you'll do them. And I've I've got told off once in my last church, but again, I like to agitate things, that why is it that we have people in church that will say they'll do something, and they'll do it in the workplace, but when it comes to church, they'll say, yeah, I didn't get around to it. And, and the only conclusion I've got is money is more important to them than God because I have to say, for me, it's about serving God. If I say I'm going to do something in the church, I, I want to do it because it's for God. And I want to model that uh, myself. Um, it's not stepping down or I'm going to leave because it hasn't gone my way. I'm going to refuse to serve on this team because uh, things haven't gone the way I thought they should be. If, if I took that attitude, I've resigned five times on my first day. Things don't always go my way, but it's discerning the will of God. So I have to lead myself, and you have to lead yourself. The second thing is godly leadership in the church. So the first thing is taking personal responsibility for the way we lead ourselves, and possibly the way we treat leaders. Um, The second thing is godly leadership in the church. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. So Christ himself, so get that, Christ himself, the head of the church himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's equipping the people of God. Someone spoke to me recently, they looked at our evangelism budget, which we spent about half this year, and uh, said, we're not doing any evangelism. I said, well, you can't really use that as a measure um, of evangelism and I went through it and then they said we need more events we, meet, we need uh, this we need you to be doing more alphas and I said we'll do alpha as soon as anyone as soon as anyone wants to come on them but if I look at the sign up sheet at Perry Street and I haven't looked at yours it's uh, full of nothing okay because we need the members to go out and invite the people we only know a limited amount of people and a lot of them we speak to every Sunday they're only Christians because we need the army the people of God and I challenged this person and I said I said what about your evangelism I said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, what's your neighbour's name? I don't know. I said, well, before you have a go at us, why don't, we're here to equip you. Go and knock on the neighbour's door, invite them for a cup of tea and, and have an attitude of actually at some point I want to lead them to Christ. It's this personal leadership. But then they don't invite people to the things that we put on. Get, it's, it's a personal responsibility for everybody. And I think what I want in myself and what I'd love for the church is to be passionate, committed, to own responsibility, all of us. Because we're all in it together. We're a priesthood of all believers. When I went, uh, I, I'm really glad I did this. In my last church, uh, for f- five years, I went by vocational. What, what I mean by that is I went back to Broken and still led the church. And I agreed that I would lead, worship and preach pretty much every week. Um, I'd lead the leaders' meetings, the church meetings. The only thing I couldn't do during the week was pastoral visiting, so we've got another guy coming and, and did that. And sometimes, you know, I was shattered, and I would be sitting on that desk near Ben, sorting out orders of service at 7 o'clock in the evening, because I knew it had to be in by the Thursday. And I like, and, and there's other things, you know, preparing uh, uh, agendas, and leading the meetings, and turning up on time. And the reason I, I like it that I've done that is because now, when a volunteer says to me, you don't know what it's like. It's all right for you. You get paid to do this. I can say, actually, I have done it, and I didn't take any salary or stipend. I did it because I loved God. Don't for a second think you're doing it for me. I mean, I'm really grateful, but we've got to get, a, we've got to get over that. It's about God. And the moment when you walk away because someone's upset you, 
Um, and because their interpretation of the Bible maybe isn't what yours, but you're totally ignoring passages yourself about forgiving one another and whatever grievances you've got against one another, or, or maybe a decision hasn't gone your way. I think, oh, it's my ball, and I'm taking it home with me. You're not doing that to me. You're doing, that's God. And, you know, we've, we need to be careful with that. Uh, third thing, attitude. Uh, 1 Peter 5, they're talking about leadership in the church now. 1 Peter uh, 5, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, says so this sense of responsibility. Not because you must. I remember at my, uh, Bob Allen preached at my induction at Christ Church and he said, Ian, he looked at me, he said, Ian, remember, God called you, but you said yes. So don't ever blame God. You know, and don't ever think, oh, it's such a burden, this ministry life. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. This is not abusive leadership, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you see, there he is, that's Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And I remember being told... Uh, that Ian, you know, you're a servant of the church when I was training. You are a servant of the church and you need to own that. You serve the church, but the church is not your master. Only God is. And so sometimes you have to listen to God and tell the church things, things they don't want to hear. But you're their servant while you do that because you're speaking truth. So having said that, having said you're a servant of the church and not lording over people, I think sometimes in Baptist circles especially, because of our ecclesiology, we've then reacted against good, firm leadership. For the leaders being worried about how they'll be perceived, that maybe I am beginning to lord it over people. And we have to guard against that. And we've got to guard against that. We've got a church members meeting that can, can throw a minister at any time they want. Uh, and equally, a minister can leave any time they want. Both of those would be the wrong attitude, wouldn't they? Why would they be the wrong attitude? Because that's my one man, one vote. Um, I should only leave if, if I feel God's calling me to leave and you should only ever ask me to leave if you feel God is saying that for the time of the church. It takes personalities and, and everything else out of it. It's always about God. Having said all of this, strong leadership is needed. I just uh, pulled out, I mean, I felt like after I prepared it, I thought we should do like a, a whole day on a Saturday, a leadership workshop or something. But anyway... Look at this, the Council at Jerusalem, you find that in Acts 15, and you know, the early church finding its way a bit, it's an incredible growth, you know the story, and, and there was this big argument, because um, they're saying, some people are saying, the Gentiles must be circumcised, otherwise they're not saved. So they're going to bring the non-Jews back under the law, not the grace of God. I think it was you, Norman, that prayed. You're saved by the grace of God. It's only by God, it's only by Jesus. And they were trying to say, no, no, you've got to do all this stuff. To, uh, you've got to go back to the old covenant and you've got Paul and Barnabas and they're, they're rowing with them and there's a dispute you know, why do we think we won't have disputes in churches uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, disputed it they were sent, they said well we're not sure what to do so we're going to send you to back to the apostles and to the elders and, and you're going to meet with them and the apostles and the elders meet Peter stands up, one of the apostles he testifies, it's God's grace that saves us he doesn't want to be under the law it's all about God's grace and then the whole assembly then listened to Barnabas and Paul. So now we're getting all these different opinions are flying around, it's good. And then finally James uh, stands up and says in verse 13, you can imagine all talking about it with all these opinions, he stands up, he says, now listen to me. That's what he says. Now listen to me. Imagine if I said that in a church meeting. Listen to me. I'm not James though. 
Right? He says, listen to me, he sums up everything, he sums up what everyone's saying, and in verse 19, you know, he believes in the priesthood of all believers, he believes that we can all hear the voice of God, he believes it's right that we have this debate, but he stands up and says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He took a lead. Someone stood up and said, okay, I hear everything, this is the way we're going to go. Otherwise, they could have spent months, months and months and months, he took a lead. There had been discussion, there had been discernment, there had been prayer and thinking. He took the lead and made the decision. And sometimes that has to happen in churches. And when it doesn't, churches just bumble along, uh, doing the same things they always did, expecting different results, and it doesn't work. So we need leaders that will lead. One of the other responsibilities is the responsibility of the word. And there's an assault on ministers now. And I've just come away from the BU Larger Churches Conference this beginning of this week. And there is an assault on them to change their minds and you know, bend the word to make it suit culture. 2 Timothy 4, start at verse 4, in the presence of which is probably read at most ministers' ordination, it wasn't mine. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. I mean, think about that. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus is the head of the church, in their presence, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Okay, let's just forget the pebbles. Do the work of an evangelist. I, I don't think any minister shouldn't be an evangelist. Right, it's in scripture. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know, what, what Paul's talking about this to his young pastor Timothy is it, sound doctrine. And, and even now, we need sound doctrine, and especially in an age, and I'm going to aggravate again, of, of biblical illiteracy. Not with people outside the church. They, I don't expect them to know the Bible, but even inside the church, we're neglecting the word of God. And we're in a, we're in a position where people doubt God, we're not ready to answer them. And so therefore, we say we hold on to values. What's your value? Well, uh, it's this, because Ian said it. But you haven't, we haven't got our own theology. We must love people, and we must be generous. But to feed them lies... Uh, where culture wants you to bend and come up with, you know, we believe this and the church should do the same. No, it shouldn't. The church should get in the word of God and have its own theology. And the church should influence, it can't dictate, but it should influence culture. And what we're finding, although we have an iron culture, is culture is influencing the church. And there is a battle out there on certain hot issues right now and people are capitulating and it's going to do us no good at all. So we have to hold on to our values. We must love people, we must be generous To feed them lies to make them feel better isn't love. It's cowardice. We must love people, but we must love orthodoxy as well. And currently, the current teaching is there's no real truth. It's all the isms. Secularism, relativism, I can't even say my cold. Uh, All of them, right? And and they're not working, which gives us a huge opportunity because we have truth. People are searching uh, for truth. Uh, the world says there are no boundaries. It's all about selfishness. It's all about me. Human sexuality. All these things are coming in. And we've got to bend and we've got to be exactly what the world says. Well, no, we haven't. And I think one of the jobs of being a leader uh, is being a theologian in residence to be able to spend time and go away and think about these things. 
and teach sound doctrine, sometimes in the face of severe opposition. So sometimes you're going to be preached to and teach, taught, and you won't want to hear it. But that's their challenge. That's, that, that's, that's the call of a leader. A leader is not there to make everybody happy. I say to the boys in the office and girls and, and Charlotte, if you want to be popular, go and sell ice cream. You're not going to do it as a leader. So expect criticism. Uh, so that brings me on to the challenges of uh, leadership. Maintaining a relationship with God. We've already spoke about that. Criticism. I've got to tell you, and I'm going to be agitating you again, most of the criticism I receive and the other guys receive, and in my last church received, is not from outside the church, it's from inside. We have, a, we have this thing called friendly fire, but when you get a bullet in the back, it, doesn't, it just doesn't feel friendly. And it happens, and that's my experience. We do get it outside the church. And you have to quit our job because of uh, people going into the shop and, and abusing her because of an issue that was going on in our past church. We were proved right in the end. We knew we were right, but we couldn't defend ourselves. That was, that was, that was a bullet, but that was outside the church. Mostly, it's from inside. A friend of mine who's a minister uh, did a school assembly recently, and he said to me, how about this? I did a school assembly, and we were talking about this, and this is not really, it didn't bother him. He did a school assembly, he went two minutes over time. All the teachers came up to him afterwards and said it was a brilliant assembly, thank you so much. Two of his church members that were teachers there were the two that criticised him. True story, about two weeks ago. What is it about us that we feel we just want to criticise all the time? Um, I get emails, I, do, I, love, I love receiving feedback and everything. Is we can get emails that, that um, have been passed to another person. We had it last year uh, because the people who sent it said, you're not to tell Ian who sent it. And that was forwarded to us on our holiday. Um, and, you know, when you get an email that says, whatever you do, don't read, you're on holiday, you open it up and read it. And, and, and we did, we, I went back with rebuke to the person, couldn't go back to whoever it was, and I didn't know who it was. I said, this is not biblical. You know, tell them I'll meet with them, you can come as well, an elder can come, be accountable, but we're not into this. And I can tell you that uh, it, it's like water off a duck's back and it doesn't hurt, but it ruined the last two days of our holiday, and that's the reality. And sometimes when we criticise, leaders can criticise as well and say things the wrong way, it's not all one-sided. Uh, discouragement, you know, I want the church to grow more. Uh, there are challenges. I want us to have more finance. There's so much we want to do. For the first time, I mentioned it at the church members' meeting on Wednesday, for the first time since I've known this church, we're being held back by lack of finance. Um, but there's so much more we want to do. Uh, the 24-7 feeding, what that means is we're never off duty. Uh, I'm not pleading for... I'm not, I'm not get, getting my pebble. I'm explaining what leadership is about. But the 24-7 feeling, when, when I was broken, uh, you know, when the market closed at 4.45, that was it. I booked the bargains out, 5 to 5, I'm off to the DLR and get on the train on the way home. I'm done until Monday. That never happens in ministry, ever. The to-do list is just constant. Not moaning about it, I'm just saying this is one of the pressures of leadership. Not everybody agrees with you. And, and I'm not scared of saying so, it's fine. Finance, I've mentioned. Volunteers who don't get the fact they're serving God and can throw a tantrum every now and again and it affects so many other people. It's really, it's not that I'm angry about it. it, it breaks my heart. I think, where are you in your relationship with God? Why would you do that? Lack of respect, uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his uh, wages. That sounds really good. That's going to make all of you want to become a leader until we get to James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged 
more strictly. It's, a, it's an incredible pressure and responsibility to assuming you're speaking for God, knowing that it's going to be looked at very, very closely. Um, so anyway, that's it. Um, really not a plea for any kind of sympathy or anything like that. I, I think I'm doing the best job in the world. I really mean that. I feel called here. Uh, I love the people. We actually don't get that much criticism, um, but we've had, we do get things. And normally for me, it's the way it's done rather than what the words are. Um, but I said to you, I'd, I'd just do um, some collective thoughts. So this is where I am. And this is, this is to show you really the heart, hopefully, of someone who leads, who's trying to work out himself about, you know, what, what are we doing? And, you know, we haven't got all the answers. We're, we're fallen human beings, but we know we've been called by God and we just go with it. And that's all it is. And sometimes we're going to get it wrong and I'd ask for forgiveness where we do. I would have got things, loads of things wrong. Uh, but hopefully my heart is right. These are my collective thoughts. I've been scribbling down the last two weeks. I want to try and show you how we, or how I just are always thinking about these things. Uh, and these are bullet points that I've just scribbled down. They're not big theological uh, things. Uh, okay, under Jesus, and I said this to the team re- recently, it's on us. No excuses. Stop moaning and have a professional attitude. Leadership is a gift. I spoke about that. Uh, and so we need to lead diligently. We should lead by example. Um, everyone is equal in value, but unequal in calling and gifting. Must take responsibility for our leadership roles. Don't be scared to lead. Uh, choose not to be offended. That is one of the best bits of advice I got at Spurgeon's College from Nigel Wright. Don't be someone who chooses to be offended, because if you do, you'll be offended at least 20 times a day. Honestly, it is really funny when you say I only work one day a week. I choose not to be offended. It's um, really funny when there's a visiting preacher and someone says, that's the best sermon I've heard for three years. <laughs> choose not to be offended. Because I know they don't mean it in the way it's coming across. They're little things. But if you can choose not to be offended, honestly, you'll be a lot happier. Um, don't be afraid to lead. I think I said that. The orchestra I told you about. The leader, you know, all the people of God might be, I think I've said this here before, might be chopping down the trees and taking ground. The leader's job is to step back and say they're in the wrong woods. You know, and to see the big picture. Um, changing the culture. I have to tell you, and again, to agitate, when I first came back to Billericay, I think, you've, I think not just talking about South Green, I'm talking about across the whole church, the words that came to mind, downtrodden, beaten up, um, I don't say lacking in faith, just faith had been tested, um, need looking after, need to be loved, um, but equally some things, let's get, let's get out of the apathy, let's get out of the worries us, let's move forward in faith, changing the culture, believing what uh, God could do with us. Um, when God wants to do something, this is it, he calls a leader. Nowhere in the Bible do you see a task that needs to be doing where God doesn't call a leader. Somebody who takes ownership of it. Someone has to take the lead. Uh, don't be afraid. 90% of the problem is inhibition, not, not permission. A lot of Baptist leaders especially say, oh, I couldn't, couldn't do that, the church members won't like it. I said, have you asked them? Have you, have you spoke to them? Have you had forums? Have you had these things? Most of the time, it's, they feel inhibited, not confident. Um, look at Nehemiah. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, I'm not going to do it really, but he wants to rebuild the walls. He's heard that the walls of Jerusalem have been down for about 150 years. You know the story. And, he, and he's the cupbearer for the king. And he says, oh, I want to, you know, I kind of want to go. And that's under threat of death. You know, if the king had said no, he's going to kill him. So he's committed. He's sold out. You know, he's, he's not, he's not, it's a bit cold Sunday or can't get some members meeting. No, he's, he's, he believes in a vision and he's going to go and rebuild those walls. Right, they've been down for over 150 years. That journey 
uh, leaving the king would have been hundreds of days. He's not going back. He's not got a plan B. He's absolutely sold out for the vision that God has given to him. Um, the journey there would have been tough. He wasn't going, going back. 150 years, the wall was down. 52 days to rebuild because he stood up and got people organised. But he needed courage, he needed passion, and he needed to be all in. And it was versus great opposition. Loads of people came uh, about him. All the governors that were around at that time, Sambalat, Tobiah, all those people came against him, threatened to kill him. Even his own people said, you can't do it. There's the criticism within the church, discouragement within the church. But he had the vision and he did it. And I think we need an attitude in church life now to say, we can do this. We can take on the world because we're at the head of the church. Uh, on, we, we're, on the, we're on the right side. And sometimes the vision, uh, I said this Wednesday as well, the vision has to be beyond me or us. If the vision is not impossible for us, then it's no more than a to-do list. If the vision is beyond us, then it's going to be of God, and then we can praise him when it happens. We've got challenges coming up, but the vision is beyond that. We, we haven't got all the answers. If you don't have a vision, you won't inspire anybody, but in saying that, I think vision and strategy are important, because it says so in the Bible, with no vision, the people perish. But I think we've overrated vision and strategy and programs and underestimated obedience and discipleship. I think if we're obedient, we won't need much vision, the church will flourish. Um, what else have I put here? This is super provocative again. Shall I say this? Yes. You get to choose... This is me writing to myself. You get to choose who leads. You can't choose who leaves. You know, my leadership will upset some of you. It happened with Jesus and it happened with Paul. Why are there so many ministers out there thinking everyone should just agree with me? Otherwise, what happens, you end up trying to lead the people that you can't lead. Leadership can be unifying and divisive. Negativity and criticism kills. Some won't like the vision. Some will love the vision. Some will be in the middle. Just make sure it's God's vision. Others will only ever see the worst. And traditionally, so there's 20% of people who only see the negative in absolutely everything you do. Traditionally, that's where leaders spend most of their time. And in the meantime, the vision is just put on the wayside. So we don't want a culture that spends all the time with the people who are just not going to see the good in anything. We need to change the culture. Jesus was betrayed, therefore I will be. And what I say to other ministers, get over it. It's going to happen because you're putting your head above the spiritual parapet. Call the, I was speaking to, to Gordon earlier. I said, I'll pray. I've got a cuss here, pray for me. I said, pray for you every day. I said, thank you so much. Brilliant. I've written down here, call the intercessors. I need protection. We can all fall, especially when we push forward. Get loyal people. The key to Nehemiah's leadership was a focus on the task, on God, and the walk with Jesus. Take the territory. And I am finishing now. I need to shepherd and release. This is things I'm writing to myself. Don't hold on to everything. Someone comes up and says, I think this would be a really good idea. I say, well, go go and do it then. It doesn't, everything has to come through me. As long as it's biblical, we're okay. On me again, no excuses. Some of the things that are not happening are down to me. And I should fix them. I can't keep blaming everybody else. Don't be lazy. A lot of prohibitions are me internalising inhibitions. Leadership should be influential, should be with a team who listen to God. Invest my time with the Father, that's, that's really important, but then the three and then the twelve, and the rest should fall into place. God has called me at this time to make my stand and make a difference. I've written here, it must have been after a Nike advert, just get on with it, Ian. We're in a war, it's not peacetime. Why are we acting as a church like we're in peacetime? It's not. Leadership in the New Testament is given and received. It's impossible until it's done. 
and I've talked about a leadership development pipeline. Larger churches accepting apostolic leadership gifts, just own it. Um, do you know, I want to finish right now with this fact. Uh, why it's so important. Why we're in a, a war and not peacetime. And this is something to really encourage you. The global church now, right, is growing at the fastest rate since the resurrection. Fact. Why are we apathetic? Why are we doing th- all the things we're always doing? Why are we so afraid of godly leadership? You know, godly leadership is the thing that's driving churches forward. And we don't like saying that because it feels like it's on the person, but it's not God has called people to lead churches forward. Well, I think one of the people that really stands head and shoulders, who's so great in his frailty and his um, accountability, uh, is Nicky Gumbel, you know, who, who took over as a, a vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton. They've planted something like 45 churches um, and really telling their people to be sold out for Jesus. We're in a war. Uh, we're not in peacetime. And, and so therefore, when we look at leadership, pick the right leaders. At any point, you're a membership. If at any point you think the leadership is not right, vote them out. You know, if you think that's of God. Because uh, they'll leave when they think it's the right time, as they should. Uh, but in the meantime, lead ourselves. And I, I would make a please support us. You know, we're really working hard. And, and you know, some of the elders who get criticised like you wouldn't believe, uh, I see them the other side. They're in tears in my office over pastoral needs. They're in tears. Uh, and uh, the slightest thing, I'm not about having it probably at least once a week, I'll say, this happened to so-and-so, we need to pray, they're having a rough time. And they're in front of me in tears. And then I hear people come up to me and say, you know, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And it's not godly. And, and, and I won't have it, I'll defend them. Equally, I'll chastise them when I think it's right, as they will me. We've got a good relationship where we're accountable to one another. So look, that's just some random thoughts at the end. Um, let's not be a critical people or an undermining people. Uh, let's be an enthusiastic, positive people. It's not that you can't criticise, of course you do. Uh, everything that Paul said, the Bereans tested that what he said was against Scripture. We have no problem with that. But don't be divisive. Don't be looking for the problems. Uh, support your leaders uh, and lead yourself. Um, that's my prayer. I think I've spoken enough now because I think I've run over time and I haven't been on my watch. Uh, can I pray for us and hand back? Thank you, Lord, for your word. And um, we thank you, Lord, that leadership is a gift. We thank you, we have the priesthood of all believers who recognise that gift in some. But help us to be a people that are willing to be led. Help us to have leaders that are willing to lead. Help us to have courage and determination and take back background from the enemy. Lord, help us to further the kingdom of God here and further afield. In Jesus' name, Amen.